0: Uh, It's good to see you all. Uh, We are continuing our uh, series on the life of Peter uh, that Charles began uh, last week, which I thought was just the best idea. A very fascinating character. Uh, He is uh, one. He's the disciple that we get the most uh, inside view of his life than anybody else. He's part of. He's uh, in a ring of, of even among the twelve disciples. You know, Jesus says, calls him the rock on which he will build his church. Um, but here we kind of get to see about uh, what Jesus is doing in him uh, to build him up and to prepare him for uh, what he has going forward. Because he is just a character who wears his heart on his sleeves. Um, he is very human in that regard. And that all of the, the energy and the feelings that we all have deep down, but many of us have learned to cover up, he just comes out there. Um, so we get to see ourselves in him, and we get to see this process of discipleship um, in a very sweet way. Of when he walked on the water, uh, which is a wonderful story, maybe one of the most endearing of, um, of Peter's life. Uh, but let me just say one word about context. Uh, What has just happened is that Jesus has fed the 5,000 people. So he had a great crowd in front of him, and he had compassion on them and fed them uh, with very meager offerings and sent the disciples out to carry all of this food that kept multiplying to something else uh, when we come here to this um, story. So I'm going to read it and pray, and then we will dig in. Uh, This is from Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart it is I. do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts uh, be pleasing in your sight. And would you open up your own heart to us through your word uh, this morning. May it be clear and may it be uh, powerful through your spirit. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of the things in life uh, that we kind of all have to face and prepare ourselves for is according to plan. Um, there are lots of skills that we learn in life. Uh, we learn how to manage our money. We learn how to take care of a house. We learn vocational skills and whatever like that. But there is more to uh, what we were prepared for growing up and what we prepare others for. And that is not only these skills, but... Um, things just don't always go uh the way we plan. Uh often the the winds of chaos um, to use that term um, form a great resistance um, to what we are trying to do um, and to what we hope for. Uh this um, this passage is about. It is Jesus is preparing his disciples in a particular way for um, for uh the forces of chaos um, that actually resist um, the life of faith. I mean, thinking about these, just to use an an illustration, um, the US Open's been going on, I've been watching tennis just a little bit. Uh, I'm not actually a tennis fan, um, but my interest. But it got me thinking about an article I read a couple years ago on um, uh, Serena and Venus Williams and their dad um, about what their training was like growing up. Um, And it was very rigorous training. They did a lot um, of just learning the craft and the skills of the game, Um, but knowing that these were gonna be two African-American women and uh their dad would actually have other people come by the court and lob insults at them like as they were practicing. Because he knew that what they were up against was not only the competition, but there would be many other forces that were going to resist them along the way that they were gonna to have to be prepared for and be able to withstand if they are going to be successful. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. I mean, um, but he, the point that I want to make is that uh, when we take it over to the life of faith, um, our wires can get crossed a little bit. Um, and that when we think about the life of faith, um, the solution that we often uh, can revert to is that what we're going to have to do when we face these winds of chaos is be tough. Uh, that we are going to have to have a kind of inner strength or a thick skin, that when we see these things come against us and when things are not working out as they should, or that we face outright opposition in some way, the only way that we are going to be able to stand is by being tough, by developing a thick skin that can dodge uh, these things. But in the wonderful thing of this passage, Jesus is showing us that in the life of faith, there is something almost opposite that is the case. Um, That is the key to success, the key to making it, to longevity, um, to anything good coming out of it. It has nothing to do with being tough at all, but it has self dedicated to his people and who has given himself to his people as all of the strengths that they need. Um, So that's how we are entering into this passage, I think illustrating this point. I'm going to look at it in uh, three ways, of course. Uh, We're going to look at the context of discipleship, uh, the Lord of discipleship, um, and then we'll look at the process of the discipleship. Uh, We will uh, just ask, so uh, based on the other two, then what new opportunities does that open up for us? Uh, So first, just looking at the context of discipleship, and this is where it goes back. It's important to remember where this story fits, Um, that it is the thing that immediately happened before this was the feeding of the 5,000. Um, is a, that in itself was a transition point in Jesus' ministry. And in a way, he was preparing his disciples in that for the works of ministry. And on his behalf, to preach the gospel and to do ministry to people in a way that he knew that they in themselves did not have what they needed to offer in order to accomplish that. And Jesus, in a very miraculous way, he demonstrated his power through them Of how he would provide for them and he would be uh, the actual agent in the ministry that they were about to undertake. And then immediately after after this, this is a story that is kind of in juxtaposition. Jesus tells them to go into the boat and to go across the seas. And then we see the disciples for ministry, but he is actually putting them in a context where they are up against it. Because, of course, that the life that they have ahead, where Jesus is sending them, is going to be full. Of these winds of chaos and the resistance um, that is going to come to the work um, they have been given, and before before you jump to conclusions, I don't think that, I'm not saying that the wind is an allegory for other kinds of, of resistance. Um, this is an intentional um, uh, a preparation for discipleship that Jesus has orchestrated and he has brought them about. Um, uh, for in the first place. If you were in the ancient this culture, then the sea itself uh, was often symbolized as a place of chaos. Um, this was a place that almost had demonic um kind of associations with it. With it. Um, that if you were a fisherman, even if you were the most skilled uh that was there, um it is an, an unknown and there's an unpredictability here. Um it symbolizes far more um than just um the natural you know aspect of that. Um, the natural occurrence of the water. Uh, this has been going on through the whole story of the Bible. This that the sea from the from the very beginning, the sea has symbolized uh this place of chaos. And then when we follow this on later, we also see in the story of Peter about what this does in the disciples. Um, is that this it becomes a place there um that actually becomes hostile, or at least it feels hostile um, to their journey of discipleship. So all of this, it, it seems to be very carefully uh, brought about um, as to show as um, a symbol for these forces of resistance um, that, that impede and that will impede uh, the walk of discipleship. Um, and these can be natural forces, uh, like here. These are actual winds, uh, actual waves um, that instigated a lot of fear um, that ended up um, getting becoming uh, elements in the disciples' walk with Jesus, assemble this place of chaos, that it could be anything um, that stimulates that kind of fear, that kind of dread, that kind of sense of resistance, and then produces an emotional reaction um, that ends up playing with our sense of trust um, in Jesus. And I'll give you just a silly illustration of this. Um, the nail clippers in my house are impossible. I don't know what it is about nail clippers, but they, but they, but they are impossible to find. And there is a, a specific place as in a drawer that we have that, like, the nail clippers belong in this drawer. And when you're done with them, they have to go back to this drawer. Uh, or else uh, we're not going to know where they are. But what inevitably happens is in the middle of the bus of trying to, you know, go throughout the day, uh, need nail clippers, pull out well, Somebody drawer, has not put them, put them back in the drawer. And on top of that, the whole top surface of this counter has just got tons of junk on it, so it's impossible to find. Um, and now, I'm not saying who didn't put it back there, because it very likely could have been me um, that did not put them back in the drawer. But you, you know what the sense of this looks like, that what, you, what was just going about a day, um, taking care of business with just because of some, you know, maybe careless acts or maybe it was just random chance or whatever, the resistance to that comes up and gets in the way. We used to just go about our day. Two, everything is against me. Like, this day is out to get me in every way and then fume out the door because, you know, there are no nail clippers. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't take much to feel like the forces of chaos are against us. And to bring this back very pointedly, um, this is also what it feels like when we lose a good friend and then we hear about another in a sister church in town and then we, our AL.com keeps blowing up our phone every day about record homicides that are happening in our city. And it feels like all of that effort of goodness and positive work that we have been trying to push for in community and in worship And all of these things is just getting swallowed up by chaos, and we emotionally bottom out, and we don't know what to do. This is the context of discipleship. These knows that his people are going to face. It could be. It could be relationships. Could be relationships very close family members or friends that at one point are good, and then somehow they're toxic, like and very difficult at another time. Um, This could be children. Children sometimes resist uh, the good instructions that we give them, just instruction that is given to us. Uh, it is not just easy, uh, but it, it is a very sobering uh, reality that Jesus is sending us into it. But how does he prepare us for this? And just looking at the disciples, how does he prepare them? Um, because I don't think, even though the disciples are a very big circumstance in this story, they're a big part. Their characters are very big parts of the story. Um, there is another one that takes center stage, and where it begins and ends. First of all, who orchestrated this whole? He is the one who intentionally told them to get in the boat and sail to the other side. So the first word that happened in this story was Jesus. And where does this story end? It doesn't end with with commending anybody other than Jesus himself. It ends with a direction, uh, worship that is directed to him. And in the middle is Jesus, who is the sovereign savior, who reveals himself to his people as the one who is the Lord over all of these things, tough. What he wants his disciples to see is that the actual way to be prepared to face that has nothing to do with them, but it has everything to do with the Lord of all of this chaos that is going on. And this imagery is really, uh, the waves. Um, we might think this is a cool, you know, it's a party trick. It's a way that Jesus, you know, he, like, this is a cool thing I can do, and you can see uh, the power um, that he has. Uh, But just even keep in mind of what the the sea symbolized and what Jesus is doing is that there is a high wind, there is a rough seas, there is a um, and professional fishermen and have literally been rowing against it all night and are way out and have made no headway. And here is Jesus who is patiently and carefully walking on top of the water as if it ain't no thing remember also, if we fast forward to the book of Revelation, is that we get to see that this picture of water in Jesus uh, again, and that in front of his throne is a great sea of glass that is absent from the throne of God. When Jesus is walking on this water, it is a, a picture and a foretaste of the absolute control, almost a serene kind of control of the chaos that is at hand. I I've kind of thought, think about it this way. Uh, when, I think it's funny when I wrestle with my kids to just sit on them sometimes because um, they, they will just scream and, you know, they, they can't get up. They're just completely power. And I just like sit there and, you know, it, it's just in a, a jestful way. It is a, is a complete <laughs> that I have over them. But that's kind of what Jesus is doing here um, is that he is showing who he is in the face of the chaos. And so what we have here again um, is a picture and a foretaste of who he is presenting himself to be to his people. Um, and even the hand that reaches down to save, to save Peter is itself um, salvation that he is about to work, of how he is, he is going to save not just one man from one instance, but to give a guaranteed proof um, that no matter what, uh, the evil is, or chaos is, that, ri- that rises up. There is no power that holds sway over his people other than Jesus himself. And that is how people hope and courage to prepare them to be able to face what they are going to see. And moving in here to this third point, I, I want to ask a few things about what does this mean um, for the process of discipleship? Um, just what, what kind of clues does this story give about what we can expect in light of those two things? Uh, I think one of them is is that uh, increased faith coincides with increased vulnerability. Um, is the action, is trust, is stepping out in faith and trusting Him in the middle of the chaos. Um, it is not really a safe thing to do. It does not mean that we are not safe. Uh, we could not be any more safe than we are in the hands of our Savior, but it will feel uh, very, very vulnerable, and it will feel very confusing at times, and it will feel like rowing against a wind um, that there is, no, there is no way to make progress against. And with that, of course, discipleship, the process of discipleship almost always looks like periods of fits and starts and moments of just uh, bottoming out. And what an example is a of this of Peter of what he does? I mean, what he does here is kind of crazy. Like I find a lot of, there, there's all the things. There's things to commend, there's things to maybe disapprove of, and there's just like questions. Like why, why would you do this? Right, first of all, when he sees a ghost walking across the water who says it's Jesus. And then he says, if it really is you, tell it would tell him the truth. Like, I mean, so he's like taking a risk here in, in stepping out. But so Peter... Um, maybe it's because he's already learned something about Jesus from, this, from the storm that Jesus has already calmed before. Uh, we don't know why. But he responds to this um, situation with great bravery. You are really in control of these things, then let me step out into the chaos and I'll be fine. And what happens? He does it. Jesus just calls himself to himself and he's walking across the water. And then what happens? He sees and he remembers what he is doing and the vulnerability that presents itself to him there. He sees the wind and he sees the waves and he becomes afraid and he bottoms out and he starts sinking down in it. Point. But immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand and he grabs Peter and he pulls him up and he reminds him about who Jesus is, worthy of his faith. And so he does both. He see, he bottoms out, he sees the chaos, and he is the only one outside of Jesus we know that has ever walked on water. And that ought to be comforting for us, and very realistically as we look at our own lives. Is I know that you have had moments where you wave, I am on a good streak. And then almost it doesn't take much And then the script flips and we become afraid. We do things that we swore we would never do again. And then we realize that our strength is not enough. And we are indeed in need of a savior after all. But the good news is if Jesus is actually the Lord of discipleship, that through that process, he is there in the highs and he is there in the lows. He ultimately is the master of what is going on, not only in the world around, but as what is going on in our hearts. And I really think one of the, one of the things this does for us um, is it allows us to go about this process with a sense of good humor. And I don't mean that that everything is funny, to face grief in a way that is not despair, but that is very realistic. And it allows us to look at each other in a way um, that is very realistic also of noting both the highs and the lows and accepting both. And I just, I, maybe it's just me, but it just cracks me up to think about, you know, after Jesus is gone and the disciples are sitting around at, at dinner and someone asks them, hey, what was it like to, like to be with Jesus? And Peter's like, yeah, I walked on water once. And then John, I freaked out and I sank and Jesus had to pull my butt right up there out of the water. And um, yeah, it's, it's realistic and it is hopeful despite all of those things. And this is because our Savior is good. And it is because He is more dedicated to fulfilling that role of Savior and of coaching our hearts into Him, to trust Him no matter what the chaos is. He is more dedicated than that to we are. And there is no place, whether at the highs or whether at the lows, that we don't find Him and where He is not faithful to be. And so what we have is that when we do bottom out, and we are faced with all of these chaoses and we feel uh, the pain. Our skin is not thick enough and we're trying to figure out how to respond. That we are given the freedom rather than to hold up and to just exert more than we know that we have. We, rather than doing that, then we, all we have to do himself to us, save me. And he will. And what we have to do here. Is I think one of the wonderful things about a service like this, when we gather every week, is that we are not just here to here to hear the word taught, so that we learn. We are here to do that, but we are also here together with one voice to be able to do just this—to cry out, "Jesus, save us!" We feel like we are drowning, and we feel like we are going nowhere. And, what we are, and that is just what we are about to do. When we are going to partake of this table. So I want to transition to that point um, and leave it at this so that we both can receive the good word and the instruction of the Lord but that we can all together by partaking of this sacrament that we can cry out for the grace of our Savior that he has promised. Please save us. And we get to taste Him and know that he will. Let me pray for us. Jesus, our faith is so small. Would you please, in your great love and mercy, help us to release Uh, the pent-up fear and frustration that we are holding and clinging on to so hard, and that we might taste the freedom and the joy of looking to you as our true Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.